I want to wish you a very warm, happy April Fool's Day. <laughs> you guys thought I was going to say happy Easter, didn't you? Um, well, I want to remind you, God has chosen, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 1, the foolish of this world to put to shame the wise. He picked the lowly and the despised and the rejected to cover with honor. So praise God that he loves the foolish. And he loves to manifest his strength in our weakness. So I'd rather be a fool blessed by God than a king without his blessing. So happy April Fool's Day and happy Resurrection Day. Um, We're going over to Romans this morning, so grab your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, grab one off the chairs around you. Uh, We're going over to Romans chapter, the end of four and and really in five. Uh, So in our Bibles, we're going over to page 941. Page 941, while you're flipping over there, we had an incredible time Friday night. If you were able to join us, uh, it was a night of, of worship and, and sitting in, in Good Friday, sitting in the tension of the darkness of Good Friday, that, that um, man, that, that our sins put Christ on the cross, but it was God's love that held him there, right? It was that, that it, the goodness of God stepping into our need and meeting us in it. And then yesterday. Yesterday is kind of the day that is often overlooked. It's called Holy Saturday. Sometimes it's called Silent Saturday. And we think back to the original disciples' experience on that day. It was the day that that hope went silent. When they woke up Saturday morning, I'm sure there was that moment where they, they, they had that realization. It wasn't a bad dream right? It, Jesus is really dead. I mean, we, we put all our chips in on this one, man. We, we were all in that Jesus was the Messiah. We, we're, we're following him, and he's, he's dead. Silent Saturday. It seemed like God was absent, and it seemed like hope had died. It was their Sabbath, Saturday. It's the Jewish Sabbath. It begins sundown Friday night and goes to sundown Saturday. But I am sure that rest was elusive for them that day. I have no doubt they were restless and sad, alone, and filled with a sense of shame and condemnation at their own betrayal of their Lord. They didn't know that the resurrection was literally right around the corner. They didn't know that with the sunset and the dawning of a new day, their Savior would rise. All they knew was the sadness and the silence of that moment. Now, we live in this period between the coronation of the king and the full realization of his kingdom. And like them, we are often tempted to wonder where God is. We're often tempted to wonder if he's forgotten us, if he is involved, if, if, if he's just taken a vacation or checked out. I think sometimes in our hardest moments, we wonder if he got it wrong. And this is why it's good for us to look back 
on the resurrection. It is good for us on a yearly basis and, and more often than that to come back and, and think about the resurrection, to meditate on the resurrection, to allow the resurrection to once again light us up because, because if He is risen, He is returning. You guys, that changes everything. That's the point of Romans chapter 5. That's the point of what we're going to be looking at this morning. So we're looking at the last verse of Romans 4 and then the first five verses of Romans 5. I'm going to read it out loud. Follow along in your Bibles. Jesus, our Lord, was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, verse 1 uh, starts off with that classic therefore, right? My, my, uh, my theology professor many, many years ago told me never, never pass a therefore without asking what it's there for, right? So, so what is the therefore doing, right? What's it connecting? Well, it's connecting us back to chapter 4, which is why I started with the last verse there. So Friday night at our Good Friday service, we considered the first half of Romans 4.25. Jesus was delivered up. For our trespasses. Today, we get to celebrate the second half, that He was raised for our justification, right? He, he took the penalty of my sin, which was death, but in rising again, He redeemed my life. The resurrection is the seal of my justification. The death is the price that he pays, but it is the resurrection that is the seal of my justification, the proof that God is satisfied. Jesus was swallowed by the penalty of my sin. And in rising again, it is proof that God was satisfied in the price that was paid, that he was propitiated, that as the righteous judge, he could look and say, the penalty has been paid, the price has been paid Justice has been served. The resurrection of Christ was the declaration that God was satisfied. And it was also the declaration that God was creating a new humanity, a recreation through the work of His Son. In the same way He created humanity in His image in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, what we see now is God creating a new humanity in the image of His Son, the resurrected Savior. He is risen, and that changes everything. So what this means is it allows us, as we move into chapter 5, to, to approach our lives in a, in a very, very, very different way, right? First of all, when we look back in our lives, we don't see failure. We're not covered in condemnation. We don't look back and, 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 and feel the, the lack of our ability and be covered in our shame. What we do is when we look back, we see mercy and we see grace. Take a look again at verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, you may not realize it, but this is 
the single greatest blessing of the gospel. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is the blessing out of which every other blessing flows. You guys, we crave the peace of God. Uh, Theologians call this the shalom of God. It's a rich theological word that means a lot more than just lack of conflict. It means the presence of the flourishing of life right? We crave the flourishing of life. We crave God to to be involved in our lives because He's like sunshine to a sunflower. We turn our face to that warmth because it is His perfection, His beauty, His righteousness, His goodness that gives meaning and purpose and fullness to our lives. We we crave justice, don't we? We we crave genuine joy. We crave authentic purpose. We, We crave everything that flows. In the presence of God. We crave the peace of God, but I can't have the peace of God until I have peace with God. The first and greatest gift of the gospel is that Jesus has killed the enmity between me and God. This is a rich, rich mercy. Mercy. Mercy is when I don't get what I do deserve. That's the message of the gospel. Jesus took it, so I don't get it. He was my place in judgment. He was my substitute, my great hero. And as a result, I get mercy. I don't get what I deserve. But more than that, in verse 2, I I get more than mercy. I get grace, right? Uh, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We don't just receive mercy. We stand in grace. See, mercy is when I don't get what I do deserve. Grace is when I do get what I don't deserve, right? When it's not just the removal of guilt, but the, the attribution of blessing, right? It's not just that He has removed what I don't want, He has given me what I desperately need. What's interesting is it says that we stand in grace. That's an interesting phrase because the idea here is you're actually standing in the presence of God. You you know who gets to stand in the presence of God? The people who belong there. Every time God appears throughout the Old Testament, uh, a holy God appearing to sinful men, you see people collapsing on the floor as if dead. They simply cannot tolerate the revelation of the glory of God, the presence of God, because they uh, are, are impure, and, and impurity can't thrive in the presence of, of absolute purity and goodness and perfection. We stand in the presence of God because we stand in grace. God's unmerited, undeserved favor, God's unearned love. You guys, that is our standing with God. Like, that's our position with God. We not only receive mercy, but we stand in grace. When God looks at us, He has already preemptively attributed to us all the righteousness of His Son and all the beauty of Christ. We stand in grace. You know, so many Christians live their lives like they got mercy, but they didn't get grace. They walk around as if they were pardoned, but not accepted and not loved and not delighted in. Like, like they came before the judge, and, and the judge grudgingly gave them a pardon, and then looked at them and said, now go and sin no more, because I'm watching you, 
as if God forgave me and is waiting to find out if he likes me. You guys, we have received not just mercy. We stand in grace. When God looks at you, believer in Christ, he is filled with overwhelming affection. Even on your worst day. Even when you are most aware of your shortcomings and your failings, you stand in grace because it is grace. He is risen. So I can look back. And instead of being covered with condemnation, instead of filling myself with self-reproach, instead of beating myself for not measuring up or not doing well enough or failing in, in so many typical and, 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 and habitual ways, I can look back and take comfort. Because when I look back, I hear the invitation once again to rejoice in the mercy and to stand in the grace that's come to me because of the work of Christ. Now, when I look forward, I see glory. When I look forward, it renews my hope. Take a look at the end of verse 2. We'll read the whole verse 2. Through him we have obtained our access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. This word rejoice uh, is an interesting Greek word, and we know what the English word rejoice means. It means to take joy in something, right? To be filled with joy in, in, in something, right? And, and there are different things to different people, but you can probably think of, of half a dozen things that, that if they were to suddenly pop up on your radar today, it would fill you with joy, right? Whether it was a phone call from somebody you wanted to hear from or the smiling face of somebody that you love to see or, 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 or a promotion or whatever it is, man rejoice, right? It's this powerful word. But here's the thing, this Greek word is most of the time translated as boast, uh, which is interesting. Boast, right? So, so literally what the verse would say is, and we boast in hope of the glory of God. And this actually makes a lot of sense because if you think about it, your joy and your boasting are always linked. Your joy and your boasting are always linked. Think about it. Where do you boast? You're like, I don't boast. I'm humble. Yeah, whatever. Where do you boast? And let me explain what I mean by that. Where do you take pride in growing and getting better? Where do you uh, feel good when you're strong? Where, where do you, put it this way, where do you put your hope for joy? Right? What do you want to be known for? What's on, your, what's on your resume when you're sliding it across the table, right? Now, hopefully you don't do this literally when you're having coffee with somebody. That's awkward, but, but we all do it, right? We're all sitting and having coffee with somebody, and there are things we want them to know about us. There are things we kind of lead out with because if you're going to know anything about me, you need to know this. That's your boast. What is it for you? What's at the top of your resume? What is the thing that, that you, you take pride in and you hope to get joy out of, right? What is, what is it that makes you feel really, really good when you succeed? When you're strong in it, man, you just feel strong. When you are strong in it, you feel whole and successful. And, 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 and when you fail in it, you don't just feel sad. You feel worthless. When you fail in it, man, you, you have a crisis of shame. That's your boast, whatever that is. 
That's your boast. And here's the thing. You're going to try to anchor your joy in your boast. Get the image there? Right? You're going to try to anchor your joy in your boast. And there's an invisible line between you and that anchor. And that, that invisible line is called hope. Right? I hope to experience more of what I boast in because that's going to increase my joy. And so I am constantly pulling on this invisible line, trying to get closer to the thing I boast in with the intent that I will increase my joy as I experience more success in this thing that, that I've anchored my joy in. And here's the thing, you're going to see your boast as a secure place to anchor your joy. Otherwise, you wouldn't do it, right? It's normally, normally going to be related to somewhere you think you're strong. You generally don't anchor your joy in your weaknesses, right? Thinking, well, this is the thing I'm worst in, so I'm going to anchor. No, we anchor our joy in what we intrinsically think we're good at, what we tend to think that we're strong in, and, and it appears to be strong until it fails, right? When a storm comes in our lives, and suddenly we find ourselves adrift and weak when, when the currents around us shift and what people used to praise, they no longer praise. What people used to admire, they no longer admire. The thing that used to make you respected or admired or liked no longer makes you respected, admired, or liked. Or when someone shows up, and this is a really bad day, and they're better at the thing you think you're best at. That thing that you think you're really good at, that makes you feel really good about you, and someone shows up, and without even effort, they're better than you. That's a bad day. That's a bad day. Your anchor loses its hold on your boast, and your joy is adrift, and it feels farther and farther away. Listen, for the believer, there is a new anchor for our rejoicing. There is a new anchor for our boasting. And it's not something we do, and it's not something we accomplish, and it's not something we win, and it is not something we keep. It is what God gives. I rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. I boast in the hope of the glory of God. I anchor my joy in the glory of God. And the invisible line that I'm pulling on is getting me closer and closer to the presence and the perfection and the beauty of God. Now, this is personal, right? This is, this is as a believer, this is me growing in my Christian life. This is me becoming more of what I hope to be. This is me becoming more of what God has created me to be. This is the change God is working in me, but it's not just personal. It's way bigger than just me. When we're talking about the glory of God, we can't just talk about us because there's no way any one of us can fully manifest or experience the glory of God. It has to be all of us together. My hope isn't just personal. It's global. It's cosmic. When I think about the glory of God, and I think of what all the attributes are that come together to combine that glory, His perfection, His beauty, His justice, His creativity, His power, His love, His grace, His mercy, His just all of it. I want to be immersed in it. I want to be part of it. But I also want to see it manifest in society around me. I want to see it in human society. I want to see all things set right. I long for the day 
When every day's news feed won't be filled with the atrocities of man against man, of people hating people simply because they are threatening to them in some personal or ideological way. People abusing people simply because they have more power than them and can do it. A day when we actually are moving toward community instead of competition. When we recognize the intrinsic dignity of the humanity of the people around us instead of seeing them as a means to an end. Justice and mercy on a global scale. You guys, I hope for so much more than just a good day. I hope for so much more than just a new car or a nicer house or an easier life. I, I long for the glory of God to be manifest in my life and in the world around me. That is the deepest and best expression of my heart's desires. Now, I get distracted by, by all these other things, like if I just get a new car, my life will be so easy, and if I just get a new house, then I'll finally be at ease, and if I just get this promotion, then people will admire me. I long for these things, but the reality is the deepest and most lasting fulfillment of my truest desires comes in the manifestation of the glory of God, not in the manifestation of the glory of Steve. What genuinely feeds my deepest needs is a full expression of God's greatest glory. He is risen, and because He is, I have a new joy in which to anchor my hope. I boast in hope of the glory of God. When I look back, I see comfort. When I look forward, I see hope. And when I look around, I have new purpose. Take a look at verse 3 the beginning of the verse. And not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. All right, pause there. That's enough. (laughs) What? (laughs) All right, things are getting weird, right? We rejoice in our suffering. And by the way, that's the same word. We boast in our suffering. We anchor our joy in our suffering. Somehow, because Christ is risen, my suffering has become a faithful anchor for my joy. You guys, how can this be true? Isn't suffering the very thing that keeps us from joy? Yeah. If our boast is out there, if the anchor of our joy is, is, is out there in a new job or, or, or a new car or, or in the respect of, of a small group of people that make me feel important or the approval of people who make me feel loved and safe or, or in my productivity, I like to get things done and I like to have my checklist done by the end of the day. You know, if, if, those, if that's where I've anchored my hope, then suffering, suffering's an enemy. If my... If my if my boast, if my hope for joy is in a low-maintenance, hassle-free life, suffering is my enemy because suffering gets between me and my joy. And you'll resent your suffering and you will hate your suffering and you will resent God for allowing that suffering in your life because you will feel like God is robbing you of the joy you deserve. And you'll start telling yourself little stories like, how in the world can God be just and allow me to suffer because I've done my best and I don't deserve this. But when the anchor of our joy isn't in what we do or what we accomplish or what we can gain or win or hold, 
when the anchor of our joy is the very presence and blessing of God, when the anchor of our joy is the power of resurrection unleashed in our lives and the glory of God more fully experienced in our lives, our suffering takes on a whole new meaning because we recognize that God is at work in our pain. God is doing things in our suffering that we would never allow him to do when we are at ease. God has a purpose behind the pain. In order to enter more fully into the glory of God, we need to be progressively changed more and more into the image of Christ. We are covered in the resurrection of Christ. We are covered in the righteousness of Christ. We are justified, declared right, by the work of Christ. But in order for us to fully experience the benefits of the glory of God, in order to fully be immersed in the goodness and the beauty and the perfection and the justice of God, we need to be progressively changed into the image of God. And in order to be changed, we often have to go through growing pains. God is at work in our suffering. The reality is, is that we all embrace suffering to pull on the line of our hope. Think about it, you guys. Whatever your boast is in, whatever you've anchored your joy in, you willingly suffer to close the gap between you and your joy. You do it. You already do it. You already understand that there is pain necessary between here and there, and you willingly embrace it, right? You will work extra hours if you have rooted your boast in your promotion or, or people's esteem of you. You will, you will kill yourself to get that corner office. You, you, will, you will value silly things like your own personal name on a parking spot. Look at me. I have finally arrived. I can park 20 feet closer than you. Right? And we will kill ourselves to get it. We will endure suffering to close the gap between us and our boast, between us and we think what is going to, to get us closer to our joy. We'll take a harder major in college. We will work more hours, right? Even gamers, the dudes that sit around and play video games, man, they will sit there for like 30 hours straight. Tell me that's not suffering in order to accomplish whatever it is they're doing on their video game. I don't, right? We will embrace the suffering to close the gap between us and our joy. So we're not masochists here, right? Christians, the Scripture's not telling us that, that we are supposed to, like, embrace every form of suffering as if somehow that's a good thing. Right? We don't have a suffering theology in the sense that, that we need to be beating ourselves up and we need to be making ourselves hurt. And we need, no. But it absolutely changes the way we look at the suffering that comes into our lives on a daily basis. It changes the way we understand the difficulties that, that, that surface simply because life is broken. We are broken and people around us are broken. Culture is broken. Creation is broken. And as a result, there is suffering. But God is at work in the suffering to move us closer to our joy because God is at work in our suffering to bring us closer to the glory of God. We embrace our suffering not because we love it, 
but because we love the purpose behind it. We embrace our suffering not because we're masochists, but because we are in love with the glory of God. And we understand that God is at work in that suffering to change us. In fact, take a look at verses 3 through 5. Paul goes in and explains to us how this change works, right? And not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You guys, this is a, a process that Paul kind of unpacks. He says, man, we, we, we boast in our suffering. Why? Because the first thing it produces is endurance. This is the word that we, we've talked about multiple times over the last several months, that Greek word hupomone, which means to remain under, right? And so the first thing that suffering works into us is the ability to remain under pressure without being crushed. It allows us to be immersed in difficult situations without suffocating, Right? It, 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 it gives us the, the ability to, 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 to not drown in the difficulties that surround us. You guys, there are two ways to deal with heavy things. Get out or get strong. Right? And most of us want to get out. When we're in difficult situations that are heavy and painful and are, are, and are weighing us down, our first impulse is, i got to get out of this. When's my next vacation? When's my next weekend? When's my next whatever? We're just focused on getting out, but, but God doesn't want us to, to get out. He wants to grow our strength. God is at work in our suffering to grow the strength of our faith and to anchor us more firmly toward joy. You know, this is the growth process that happens in the Christian life as, as we learn to see God's hand in our suffering, as we, as we grow in endurance. There was a time in which, you know, honestly, slow driver in the fast lane was enough to send you over the edge, right? You got to work and you were curled up in the fetal position in the corner because you couldn't deal with any more people, right? And, and then as you embrace this, as you get a vision for God at work in your suffering, Pretty soon you're able to face real hardships without, without being crushed. You're able to endure discomfort without becoming a jerk. You're able to suffer without losing faith, right? This is endurance. It is this sense in which we are increasing in our ability to endure discomfort without retreating into self-pity and self-protection without lashing out at people because, because we're angry at them, because we perceive them as the block to our joy. We, it increases our endurance. And Paul goes on and says, this endurance produces character. One commentator in describing character said it's the difference between a veteran and a new recruit. And I don't care if you're talking about the battlefield or you're talking about the sales force, there's a difference between a veteran and a new recruit. A veteran's been around a little while. A veteran knows their strengths and they know their weaknesses. A veteran has been ambushed. A veteran knows what it's like to move out into the difficulties of a challenging space and has learned how to navigate those spaces. Spiritually, listen to me, as you grow, you grow in character. And what that means is that you grow in, in, in comfortability with your weakness and in God's strength. You grow in your ability to embrace grace that allows you to forgive when things are hard and, and allows you to, to move forward when, when you want to pull back and gives you courage when you want to be a coward. Character. 
You can grow in character as you embrace the suffering and God produces endurance. And, 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 and that character, Paul says, produces hope. In fact, the kind of hope that doesn't put us to shame. Or another translation would say the kind of hope that doesn't disappoint. Now, this is interesting to me because the reality is hope is the very thing that disappoints, isn't it? Think about it. Hope is the very thing that, that produces shame. Right? Be like, be like a high school. When, when I'm back in high school and hanging out with this girl and I've been firmly placed in the friend zone for a while, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and I'm starting to crush a little bit, right? And I'm thinking, man, things are warming up. Maybe there's a, a reciprocal crush going on here, right? And, 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 and I went away on, I don't know, glee club trip or whatever I do. And, and I come back and, and I see her across the room and her face lights up. And I'm like, yeah, this is what I've been thinking. She comes running toward me. I'm like, yes. And she passes me and hugs her girlfriend right behind me. I'm feeling shame. Like I'm trying to cover that stuff up, you know? I wasn't, I wasn't, isn't hope the very thing that invites an experience of shame when the hope doesn't come to fruition? Isn't hope the very thing that disappoints? If we don't get our hopes up, we can't be put to shame. At least that's what we think. If we don't get our hopes up, we can't be disappointed. In fact, some of you have, have, have learned this lesson so well you have put a hard surface over your heart to protect yourself from hope because you're terrified of disappointment. You've been put to shame too many times. You've put your hope in people. You've put your hope in situations. You've put your hope in yourself. And people let you down and situations failed you and, and you failed yourself. And you've learned to guard yourself from shame by guarding yourself from, from hope. We would opt instead, instead of taking the risk of hope, we would rather live quiet lives of despair. Because hope's too painful. You guys, the hope we're talking about here is not a false anchor that is going to give way when you least expect it. It is anchored in a genuinely secure source of joy. And because of that, it never disappoints. Because of that, it never fails and it never puts us to shame. This hope fulfills its promise. Why? Well, the end of the passage tells us. Right? This hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This hope doesn't disappoint because the Spirit of God is the one actually anchoring it and making it secure. The Holy Spirit, when you believe in, 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 in Jesus, when, when you hear the gospel and respond in faith, the Holy Spirit comes and resides within you. God actually comes and dwells in you. That is part of, of the manifestation of the peace with God, right? We have, we have peace with God, and, and, and so the Spirit of God comes in and dwells in us, and we start tasting the peace of God in our lives. And the Spirit of God, one of His primary roles is to remind you that you are a beloved son, a beloved daughter of the Most High. Because we are so afraid of rejection, 
because we have such a hard time receiving love, the Spirit of God indwells us. And one of His primary ministries in us is to remind us of our adoption into God's family, to remind us that we stand in grace, to remind us that we are loved. The Spirit of God is within us working as a tangible expression of the love of God, and and nothing fills the sails of hope or gives strength to our joy like love. He is risen. And because He is risen, there is a new purpose in my suffering. It allows me to look around at the difficulties of my life, and even though I may be disappointed and may be having a hard time and may even be in pain and I might be suffering, I can see the hand of a loving God at work transforming not just me, but redeeming and restoring all of creation. Because we are between the inauguration of the King and the full fulfillment of His kingdom, we realize that we are in this space where we will not yet see all the blessings that are absolutely guaranteed to us. Because He was delivered up for my transgressions, and He was raised for my justification. As I wait and long for the coming of the kingdom, as I wait and long for God to transform my heart and to free me from my own areas of shame and weakness, as I wait for him to establish justice in, 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 in society and in the world around me, God is at work both for me and in me to free me into the vast beauty of his glory. He is risen and he is active and he is coming back. I look back and I find comfort. I look forward and I am lit up with hope and I look around and I am infused with a new sense of purpose. Why? Because He is risen. So we, of all people, should be a people of joy, a people of faith, and a people of purpose. I'm going to close this in a word of prayer. We're going to share communion in a moment, but we're going to create a space for you to pray and allow the Spirit of God to encourage you and speak to your heart. Um, Let me pray for us, and then we'll go into a time of response. Father, we thank you for, uh, man, the grace upon grace upon grace upon grace that comes to us because of the work of Christ. That, That... Christ didn't die just to remove our guilt. He didn't die just to give us a pardon. He died to cover us with your love. To win for us a favor, a position of preference, an undeserved love and a never-ending welcome of, of, of glad tidings that we are to come to the table of grace to feast with the God of glory. We are invited into your presence, not to be condemned, not to be measured up, not to be be compared to others, but simply to be loved. Lord, will you comfort the afflicted, those who are struggling with a deep sense of shame or weakness, those who have failed themselves or failed others, those who have a hard time trusting because those that they thought were trustworthy let them down or even betrayed them. Spirit, will you comfort them and allow their faith to grow and recognize that while the world is broken and people are evil, you are not. And your love will meet them. 
Lord, for those who are either tempted to put their hope in something that will betray them and destroy them or are tempted to shut down their hope altogether, will you awaken their courage to once again grow strong in the hope of the glory of God, that you are at work for their good, restoring, redeeming, and blessing. And Lord, I pray for those whose suffering at this time seems overwhelming. Spirit, will you meet them in a way that only you can? Will you bring a balm and a comfort of your love in the midst of their pain? Even, Spirit, even in, in the same way you comforted Christ as he marched to the cross and suffered rejection, crucifixion at the hands of vile men and even rejection from his friends. Spirit, you, you encouraged Christ. Will you come alongside those who suffer this morning with that same encouragement? Will you strengthen them with an awareness of your love? Will you light us up with the hope of Christ's return so that we can live in the reality and in the joy that the anchor of our joy is firmly planted in the boast of our salvation. Guys, take a few minutes and pray. We'll share communion in a moment.